الله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله Really the praise belongs to Allah, we praise Him, seek His assistance and forgiveness and we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds. Whoever Allah guides, there is no one that can lead him astray and whoever Allah leads astray, there is no one that can guide him. And I bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone and that He has no partners or associates and I bear witness that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is his slave servant and his messenger. We would like to begin our discussion this evening the explanation or the sharh of Umdatul Ahkam that uh, explanation which is done by Shaykh Abdullah Ali Bassam Hafidahullah entitled Taysir Al-Allam Sharh Umdatul Ahkam and uh, just quickly to review the hadith which we took in the previous uh, lecture lecture number 15 hadith number 82, 83 and 84 in hadith 82 the author Abdul Ghani Al-Maqtasi mentions the hadith of Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuna may Allah be pleased with him and his father he said قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم أمرت أن أسجد على سبعة أعظم He said the message of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم said that I have been commanded I have been ordered to prostrate on seven bones على الجبحة the forehead وأشار بيده إلى الأنف and he pointed when he mentioned the forehead he pointed to his nose indicating that the nose is also included with the forehead as one of those points of frustration. وَالْيَدَيْنِ the two palms of the hands وَرُقْبَتَيْنِ the two knees وَأَطْرَفَ الْقَدَمَيْنِ and the extremities of the feet which should be pointing, the toes should be pointing towards the qibla and in the narration of Imam al-Bukhari Rahimahullah, he ends the hadith with these words وَلَا نَكْسِتَ الثِّيَابَ وَالشَّعْرَ And also that he has been uh, prohibited from folding or gathering or collecting or rolling up uh, the clothing or the hair And one should not tie the hair if someone has braids they should not be tied up uh, and also the clothing should not be rolled up such as your pants legs or your sleeves, uh, this is prohibited in the salat. The Shaykh mentioned concerning this hadith that there is ikhtilaf or difference of opinion amongst the scholars concerning the uh, obligation of prostration. What is the obligation? The scholars agreed that to make prostration on seven bones, on the seven parts that are mentioned by the Prophet ﷺ is definitely legislated. 
but they differed about whether it was obligatory obligatory to prostrate on all seven bones the sheikh said there are three opinions concerning this the first opinion is those who uh, relied upon this hadith the hadith of Abdullah ibn Abbas and they said based on this hadith that it is obligatory to prostrate on all the seven bones which the Prophet mentioned when he said I have been ordered to prostrate on seven bones he has been commanded to do so and this is the well known opinion of the Madhab of Al-Imam Ahmed Rahimahullah the second opinion is the opinion of those scholars who said that it is wajib obligatory to prostrate on the forehead as for the other points of prostration they said it is mustahab, commendable, recommended, preferable, rewardable but not obligatory the other points besides the forehead they said are mustahab and the third opinion is the opinion of Imam Abu Hanifa rahimahullah who said that it is sufficient to prostrate on the nose and it excuses one from the prostration on the forehead and if somebody prostrated on their nose without touching their forehead he said it is sufficient and the correct opinion as it is clear is the first opinion the opinion of those who said that it is obligatory to prostrate on seven bones because the hadith is sahih it is authentic and it is sarih it is clear there is no doubt about uh, the meaning of that hadith here the shaykh mentioned two points derived from this hadith or two rulings the first of them is that it is obligatory to prostrate on the seven bones altogether the seven bones that the Prophet mentioned and this is the madhab of Imam Ahmed uh, and this ruling that it is obligatory or wajib to prostrate on seven bones is derived from the fact that the Prophet said that I have been commanded and wherever there is a command the command indicates that that thing is obligatory unless there is another proof showing that it wasn't meant to be obligatory but it was meant to be mustahab also uh, he said that in the prostration on these seven bones a person in doing so fulfills the obligation of prostration and as well it is a, ma- a means of glorification of Allah and a sign of humility and submission in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the second point he said is that the nose follows the ruling of the forehead and it is the completion of the prostration yeah, the point of prostration the forehead it is completed by prostration uh, on the nose along with the forehead so uh, the prostration is not complete without it yeah, and it's not sufficient just to prostrate on the forehead but the nose also has to come in contact with the ground then the shaykh says that there is a two points of benefit aside from the rulings of this hadith and he said concerning the prostration on any uh, material or substance uh, other than the forehead directly touching the ground he said that there is no harm if a person prostrates on some tile or barrier or cloth or anything between their forehead in the ground as long as it's other than the members of the body that are used in prostration and other than the members of the body that are used in prostration for example a person shouldn't prostrate on their hands because the hands are the points are part of the points of prostration he said that it is makro 
for a person to prostrate on anything that is connected to the head yani the khimar of the woman or gutra of a man or something that you are wearing on your head he said that it is makruh to prostrate on such a thing while there is no harm to prostrate on anything else any other piece of cloth other than that which is attached to the head and then he said that also the order should be followed in the manner of prostration uh, and he said that one should first prostrate on the knees then the hands then the forehead uh, and we discussed this in detail and we said that the most correct opinion is that the hands should touch the ground first then the knees and then the forehead and this is based on the authentic hadith of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam in which he said that no one should prostrate or kneel down the way the camel does but you must put your hands first and you must put your hands first this is the opposite way of the camel the next hadith is hadith number 83 the hadith of abu huraira radiyallahu anhu he said kana rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam uh, here in this hadith he describes the takbir of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam in salat he said that he used to إِذَا قَامَ إِلَى الصَّلَاةِ يُكَبِّرُ هِينَ يَقُومُ Whenever he used to stand up for salat, he used to make takbir when he began his salat. ثُمَّ يُكَبِّرُ هِينَ يَرْكَعُ Then he used to say takbir, Allahu Akbar, when he made the bowing, when he went to bowing. ثُمَّ يَقُولُ سُمِعَ اللَّهُ لِمَنْ حَمِدَ Then he used to say, Allah listens, or Allah hears the one who praises him. حِينَ يَرْكَعُ صُلْبَهُ مِنَ الرُّقُوءِ يعني when he raised his back up. Straighten his back up coming from الركوع, the bowing position. ثم يقول وهو قائم Then he used to say while he was standing, after he reached the standing position. And not before reaching the standing position, he used to say ربنا ولك الحمد. And in some of the narrations, ربنا لك الحمد without wow. And some narrations, اللهم ربنا ولك الحمد. Mentioning the praise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. ثم يكبر هنا يهوي Sajidan, and he used to make takbir also when he was going down to the prostrating position. Then he used to make takbir when he raised his head up from prostration. And he used to make takbir again when he made prostration. And make takbir again when he came up from the second prostration. And he used to do this in the whole of his salat. In every raka'ah of the salat, he used to do like this. Hatta yaqdiyaha, until he finished or completed the salat. وَيُكَبِّرُ هِنَ يَكُونُ مِنَ السَّمْتَيْنِ بَعْدَ الْجُلُوسِ And he also used to make takbiyah when he finished two raka'ah. Yani when he finished, uh, when he stood up from the sitting of the second raka'ah, when he stood up for the third raka'ah, also he used to make takbiyah. Now we should make a comment here, just as a reminder, that these takbir, these takbirat, are not always accompanied by raising the hands. We said that the raising of the hands with the takbir is in four places. But the other takbirs are without raising the hands. So these places are the places of saying Allahu Akbar. As for the raising of the hands, we discussed it previously, that this is done at the beginning of the prayer, at the time of bowing, at the time from coming up from bowing, and also at the time of rising up after the second rakah standing up for the third rakah in these four places there is a mention in the authentic hadith uh, the, the last hadith that we took last week hadith number 84 which is related to hadith number 83 uh, the hadith of 
Now on the, on the authority of Mutarrif ibn Abdullah ibn Shakhir, he said, Salaitu Khalfa Ali ibn Abi Talib radiallahu anhu Ana wa Imran ibn Hussein. That I prayed, I and Imran ibn Hussein prayed behind Ali ibn Abi Talib as the Imam. He was our Imam leading us in the prayer. رضي الله عنهم أجمعين فكان إذا سجد كبر وإذا رفع رأسه كبر وإذا نهد من الركعتين كبر يعني whenever he used to go to prostrate he used to say takbir and when he raised his head up he used to say takbir and when he stood up from the two rakah from the second rakah standing up for the third one he used to make takbir فلما قضى الصلاة أخذ بيد إمران بن حسين فقال Then when the prayer was finished Imran ibn Hussein رضي الله عنه took me by, by my hand and he said to me قد ذكرني هذا صلاة محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم أو قال لقد صلى بنا صلاة محمد صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم He said this one referring to Ali ibn Abi Talib رضي الله عنه has reminded me of the salat as it was performed by Muhammad the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam who he said he has performed or led us in prayer in the same way as the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to lead the prayer uh, from this hadith the Shaykh mentions that there are two points of difference of opinion quickly concerning those differences of opinion we said that the first point of difference of opinion is concerning the takbiratul ihram or the takbirat in the salat the scholars are in agreement by ijma' or consensus that the takbiratul ihram the first takbir when entering the salat that it is wajib it is by agreement of the scholars there is no difference of opinion about it but the scholars differ concerning the takbirat after the takbiratul ihram they differ concerning this and the reason why they were in agreement concerning the first one is because of the hadith, the famous hadith of the man who didn't perform his salat well and the Prophet wasallam told him to go back and pray again and again and again and finally he said, I don't want to pray any other way, teach me how to pray and the Prophet wasallam instructed him how to perform the prayer. In that instruction and description, the Prophet wasallam mentioned the obligation of making takbir to ihram for this reason, scholars are in agreement, there is no difference concerning the obligation of the takbir and ihram. Concerning the other takbirat, they differed. Uh, the first group, the majority of the scholars of fiqh, they said that it was not obligatory to make the other takbirat. Because it was not mentioned in the hadith of the man who didn't perform his salat well. It was not mentioned by the Prophet Therefore they said it was not an obligatory action. And it is not a necessity to make the other takbirat. Uh, and Al-Hafiz ibn Hajar Askalani mentioned in Fatul Bari that this is the opinion of the Jamhur or majority of scholars that it is mandub or mustahab, not obligatory to make the other takbirat after the first one. The second opinion is the opinion of Imam Ahmed and Dawood al-Zahiri uh, and they held that the takbirat for changing positions in the salat that they are all obligatory, they are wajib they said all of the takbirat are obligatory and they used as proof two main things the first of them they said it was the regular continuous ongoing practice of the Prophet that he used to make takbir for every changing of position except rising from Rukun and he used to say and they said the Prophet ordered us to pray as 
we saw him praying. He said, Sallu kama ra'ayitu min usalli. Therefore, it's obligatory on us to pray the way he prayed. And part of the way he prayed is that he used to make takbir for every change of position. Therefore, they said it's obligatory to do so. They also used as a proof a hadith that's reported by Abu Dawood and the authority of Ali ibn Yahya ibn Khalad from his uncle who said that the Prophet said that no one's prayer would be complete until he makes wudu and he went on to describe the, the, the various parts of the prayer and from amongst those things that he described was the takbirat for changing position. He mentioned every one of them and then in the end of that hadith he repeated again that no one's prayer would be complete without doing these things. That means that the prayer is imperfect unless the person does those things which he mentioned and from amongst them are the takbirat. Then they said concerning the hadith of Musi, the one who didn't perform his salat well, they said that there are other narrations of that hadith in which it was mentioned that the Prophet did instruct him to make the other takbirat besides takbirat al-ihram. So this opinion that it is obligatory is the strongest opinion by the evidence that seems to be very clear in Allah knows best. The second point of difference was concerning the combining of the two statements when the person is rising from ruku, the tasmiyah, sami Allah liman hamida, and the tahmeed, rabbana wa lakal hamd. The scholars differed, is it obligatory to combine them? That the person who is praying must say both, both of them, or it's not obligatory to say both of them. The first opinion of the scholars is those who said that it's obligatory on everyone who performs prayer, whether he is the Imam, whether he is the Ma'amun, the follower, or he is Munfarid, praying alone. In every condition they said that you have to say both of them. And this was uh, mentioned by a group of the scholars from amongst the Sahaba and Tabi'een and the scholars of Hadith, including Ishaq, Ibn Rahway, Abu Dawood, Al-Imam Malik and Al-Imam Shafi, Al-Imam Dawood, Rahimahumullah. And there is as a proof the hadith which we said was not authentic, it was da'if, but there is as a proof this hadith in which it is reported that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam told one of his companions that if you raise your head from your qul, faqul. And this qul is a command, and the command means that it's obligatory. He said, faqul, sami Allah liman hamada, Allahumma rabbana wa lakal hamd. From that hadith they said, he ordered him to say, therefore it's necessary to say both of them. But that hadith is da'if, so it's not really a legitimate or acceptable proof. They also use as a proof, uh, they said that there is consensus or ijma that is obligatory and the person is praying alone to say both of these statements. Sami Allah liman hamida and also Rabbana lakal ham. And they said by qiyas, the one who is following the imam should also be likewise. But we said that qiyas Yani analogy or comparison is not applicable here in the face of clear text where the Prophet ﷺ gave a contrary uh, instruction to what they concluded by their qiyas. If someone uses qiyas to reach a conclusion and it is contradictory to a statement, a clear statement, an authentic hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, then that qiyas is unacceptable. And the hadith which contradicts their qiyas is the hadith used by the second group in which they said the Prophet ﷺ is reported authentically by Al-Bukhari and Muslim in the authority of Abu Hurairah that he said إِنَّمَا جُعِلَ الْإِمَامِ لِيَأْتَمْ النَّبِيِّ that the Imam has been made to be followed وَإِذَا قَالَ سَمِيَ اللَّهِ مَنْ حَمَدَ فَقُولُوا رَبَّنَا لَكَ الْحَمْدِ he said so when the Imam says سَمِيَ اللَّهِ مَنْ حَمَدَ 
then you must say Rabbana wa lakal hamd. That means that the Prophet ﷺ is clearly instructing us that the Imam says and the people are obligated to say Rabbana wa lakal hamd. Or as it's reported in different narrations, Allahumma Rabbana lakal hamd, or so on. Uh, this is a summary of the difference of opinion, and then the Shaykh mentioned a number of points. From this hadith, he said that it is legislated, it is mashru'ah, it is legislated in the sharia to do a number of things. And from amongst those things that's mentioned in this hadith is the takbirutul ihram. And this should be done while the person is standing, while you are standing. While you are in the standing position, you make the takbirutul ihram. The other of those things is the takbirah for going to the bowing position and it should be done while you are moving to that position not before or after but while you are in the process of going to that position and also the saying uh, the tasmiyah that it should be the say Allah should be said by both the imam and the one who is praying alone has to say this and as for the tahmeed Rabbana lakal ham it is said by every praying person whether they are praying alone whether they are the imam or whether they are following the, ma- the imam everyone must make this second statement also tama'anina yani that a person should be in a calm state after rising up from ruku yani you shouldn't stand up from bowing and then immediately go to sajda but you should stand up and pause for a moment and try to establish this uh, state of tama'anina or calmness or tranquility before moving on to the next position as will be shown clearly in the future in the hadith that will be taken later concerning this particular point also the takbir at the time of going to sajda when you are going down to sajda uh, and this takbir is not with raising the hands when the person has risen up from bowing they, they raise their hands when they are standing up but when you stand up and you get ready to go to sajda you say Allahu Akbar but without raising your hands you say that the raising of the hands is proven in the hadith when you are going to bowing and when you are coming up from bowing but not going to sajda so here he said that it is legislated that you should make takbir but without raising the hands also the takbir should be said at the time uh, when the person is rising up from sajda sitting between the two prostrations uh, and that all of what he has mentioned here should be done in every rakah of every prayer then he says the takbir also uh, at the time of standing up from at-tashahud al-awwal the first tashahud at-tahiyyatu lillahi in the second rakah before going up to the third rakah in that time standing up for the third rakah also you should make takbir and he said that this making of the takbir at the time of the movement not before nor after is understood by the words of the, the words that used in the hadith that used to make the takbir hina hina means while doing something yeah, and while standing while prostrating and so on he used to say the takbir while he was in motion uh, and finally he said that the takbir the repetition of the takbir is similar in status or position to the renewal of one's niyyah or intention just as one occasionally or periodically should renew one's intention about any act of ibadah that you are doing to keep your intention pure and clear so also the repetition of takbir serves a similar purpose Okay, for tonight, the hadith, the first hadith I want to take is hadith number 85. And that hadith is the hadith of Al-Bara ibn Azib, radiallahu anhuma. May Allah be pleased with him, Al-Bara and his father. He said, رَمَقْتُ 
الصلاة مع محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم فوجدته قيامه وركعته فاعتداله بعد ركوعه with the Prophet, the Messenger of Allah Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and I found that his Qiyam and his Ruku, Raka'atahu means his Ruku of bowing Fa'atidalahu, his standing up Ba'da Ruku, after bowing Fa'sajdatahu and his prostration Fa'jilfatahu bayna sajdataini and his sitting in between the two prostrations فَسَجْدَتُهُ and then his prostration, second prostration فَجِلْسَتَهُ and his sitting مَا بَيْنَ التَّسْلِيمِ وَالْإِنْصِرَافِ قَرِيبًا مِنَ الْسَوَابِ يعني and also his sitting when he used to sit after making تَسْلِيم يعني when he finished the prayer with تَسْلِيم and before uh, going off, leaving, going away from the prayer he said قَرِيبًا uh, that all of these things were قَرِيبًا مِنَ السَّوَابِ they were nearly equal to one another in the duration of time they were nearly equal and in a report from Imam al-Bukhari he mentioned in that hadith that these things were nearly equal ma khala al-qiyam wal with the exception of his qiyam his standing which was very long he used to recite Quran very very long recitation and his qurud his sitting yani the sitting for tashahud also used to be long so he said in the narration of Al-Bukhari مَا خَلَى الْقِيَامَ وَالْقُعُودَ قَرِيبًا مِنَ السَّوَاةِ and that the other positions were similar or near uh, or nearly equal other than the standing in Qiyam for recitation of Qur'an and the sitting for Tashahud the Shaykh says here concerning this hadith that Al-Bara' ibn Azib رضي الله عنهما described the prayer of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and he mentioned that the various uh, positions in the prayer were equal or approximately yani equal or very close uh, to one another he said that his Qiyam was standing for the reading of Quran and his sitting for Tashahud these two were agreeable or appropriate or suitable in relation to the length of time that he used to bow in ruku and that he used to stand up after ruku the time that he used to stand up after rising from ruku and the time that he used to make sujood or sajda prostration he didn't used to lengthen his qiyam for example and shorten his ruku and he used to try to make them uh, fitting or close to one another if he used to lengthen the qiyam in his salat sometimes he read more and more then also he would lengthen to some extent his ruku and when he used to make his recitation reading of Quran shorter then he used to shorten his ruku similarly uh, and he says for example that he wouldn't make his sajda or prostration or sujood long and then shorten his qiyam or his sitting but every part of that salat he used to make them uh, agreeable fitting appropriate or close to fitting yani, to the other parts of the salat here the shaykh Abdullah 
ابن عبد الرحمن Ali Bassam Hafidahullah says that the meaning here in this hadith that the parts or the positions in the prayer were nearly equal he said it does not mean that the qiyam standing and the sitting for tashahud was the same amount of time as the ruku or the sujood not that they were the same amount of time but the meaning here is that if he shortened one then he would also shorten the other and he wouldn't shorten one and lengthen the other but whenever he lengthened one part of the prayer that was normally very long he would also lengthen to some degree the other parts of the prayer even though they were normally shorter but he would lengthen them to some extent to be fitting with the lengthening or shortening uh, of one part to another then the shaykh says because verily we cannot say that each part of the prayer was equal since for sure it is known that the qiyam or standing of the Prophet in particular and the sitting in tashahud that it was longer than the other parts of the prayer and this has been indicated by the narration by Imam Bukhari where he said that these parts were nearly equal except the qiyam, the standing and the sitting except the qiyam and the sitting from this hadith the shaykh mentions a number of points that may be derived from this hadith the first of them is that it is preferable that the bowing and the standing when rising up from bowing and the prostration and the sitting up from the prostration that they should be nearly equal the bowing and the standing when you stand up from bowing the prostration and the sitting when you sit up from prostration in between two prostrations they should be nearly equal the person who is praying should not make one of them longer than the other I mean long bowing and short prostration but your prostration if you make it long your bowing should be nearly equal in length because these are the parts that are similar in length not the qiyam and the sitting for tashahud but these parts are similar in length and therefore no one of them should be much longer or much shorter than the other the second point is, is pertaining to the qiyam and julus the standing and sitting for tashahud that these two, the standing for reading of Quran and the sitting for tashahud al-akhir the last tashahud they are longer than the other parts of the salat and this is understood as we already mentioned from the report from al-imam al-bukhari in which he said that the parts of the prayer were nearly equal except the standing and the sitting and the standing here means standing for recitation of Quran and the sitting means sitting for a tashahud al-akhir or the last tashahud number three he says that the salat as a whole should be equal I don't know what word to use here but it should be proportionate it should be proportionate now we're not making, making some parts very very long and other parts very very short but they should be proportionate so that the salat is balanced uh, such that whenever the Prophet lengthened his recitation in standing then he would also lengthen his wuku and sujood so that it would be proportionate and appropriate one to another then he says the fourth point the confirmation the confirmation uh, or affirmation of a tama'nina that a person should be in a calm state tranquil state when they rise up from ruku 
bowing and when they rise up from sujood, prostration, to the sitting and to the standing position, the person when they rise up, they should wait for a moment before making sajda. And when they rise up from sajda, they should sit up with the back straight for a moment before making the second sajda. There should be a moment of uh, calmness. As opposed to what we find many people doing in their prayers today, uh, where people stand up from ruku and don't even stand up completely before they're already going to sajda. And some people sit up halfway, and not even halfway, and they are going back down again making the second prostration. And unfortunately, not only the common people, but even we find some of the imams of the masjid doing likewise. And they're rushing in the prayer, and this is contrary to the sunnah of the Prophet Number five, uh, the Shaykh says that some of the people claimed that the rising up from bowing position is a minor pillar of the Salat. Yeah, it is not as significant as the other parts of the prayer because there has not been anything given in the Sunnah such as the repetition of tasbihat and yani saying subhanallah, subhana rabbi al-azim, subhana rabbi al-ala like in sujood and like in ruku. They said there's nothing legislated in the sunnah such as the repetition of these tasbihat. So they said that this is an indication that the rising up after ruku is a minor pillar of the salat. Madhya Shaykh says that this conclusion is incorrect to make qiyas in this case comparing the, the, what happens or what you do in the standing position to what you do in ruku and sajda it is inappropriate to make, make qiyas in this case and it is unacceptable since there is a clear text from the Prophet explaining what is to be done in the position of Atidal or one one stands up from ruku and in fact the dhikr or the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that has been legislated in the sunnah for Atidal when the person stands up after ruku is longer than the dhikr that has been legislated for both ruku and sujood the dhikr for standing up in fact uh, is not only Rabbana wa hamd but the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa on many occasions used to make other adhkar that are very 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 long and we will hardly find a masjid where you can recite one of these dhikr that the Prophet ﷺ used to say used to say when rising up from ruku and I have tried it myself on many occasions in many different masjids and I can never complete one of these lengthy uh, words of praise and remembrance that has been legislated in the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ for the person when they stand up from ruku and he said that these as a car that have been legislated in the Sunnah have been reported by Imam Muslim from at least three different companions of the Prophet Then he mentions here also a point of benefit, side point, not one of the ahkam from the hadith but a side point. He said that it is well known about the prayer of the Prophet that he used to lengthen the qiyam for reading Qur'an he used to lengthen that standing position uh, when he used to recite al-Fatiha and whatever he recited after it and he also used to lengthen the sitting sitting 
for the recitation of Tashahud, especially the second Tashahud, when he not only used to recite the, the, the Tashahud, but he used to recite other supplications, and in addition to that, he said after that, that you may make any supplication that is pleasing to you. That means that he used to recite a number of supplications in that uh, last three for the uh, final Tashahud. So it is well known that these two positions were longer. The standing for recitation of the Quran and the sitting for Tashahud, the last sitting. Uh, and they were longer than the other actions of the Salat. So the scholars who explain this particular hadith, which mentions that the parts of the prayer were equal or nearly equal or similar in length, they differed in explaining how is it so that they can be equal when it is well known that the Qiyam is longer than the other positions. Sometimes the Prophet ﷺ even recited, it is reported authentically, that he recited in one raka'ah. In standing, he stood reciting the whole of Surah Al-Baqarah. And didn't stop there, then recited Surah Al-Nisa. He went from Baqarah, the second chapter of Qur'an, to Surah Al-Nisa, the fourth chapter of Qur'an, and he didn't stop there, then he recited Surah Ali Imran, the third chapter of Qur'an. And all these chapters are very, very long, and the Sahabi, radiallahu anhu, mentioned this hadith, he said that, I, I, I stood behind the Prophet while he was praying, not in a congregation prayer, but in a voluntary prayer, and he said, I thought that he would stop after 100 ayat of Baqarah, and he continued. I thought he would stop after 200 ayat of Baqarah, and he continued. And then he went on to Surah Al-Nisa, and on to Ali Imran, and he said, I felt like leaving out of the prayer. That's how long he was standing. So it is well known that the standing position is not really equal to prostration or to bowing. But whenever he lengthened the standing position, then he would also to some degree or another lengthen the other positions. In any case, the scholars differ about this. Al-Imam Nawi, his opinion was that it was on occasion that the Prophet ﷺ actually made all of the parts of the prayer, standing, bowing, sitting, all of them equal or nearly equal in length. He said on occasion he did it, but it wasn't really his regular practice. This was his explanation of this hadith. And Imam Ibn Daqiq al-Eid, his explanation was that uh, that those positions where the Prophet ﷺ used to normally lengthen, he would shorten it sometime to make it nearly equal in length with the shorter parts of the prayer, or he would lengthen those positions which were normally short, he would lengthen them to make them closer to the longer portions of the prayer. That was the explanation of Ibn Daqiq al-Aid. And the Shaykh Abdullah Ali Bassam, Hafizullah, says that Allah had guided me to another explanation of this hadith, and he said that his explanation was that, as we already mentioned, that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam definitely used to stand longer in the recitation of Qur'an and used to sit longer in the sitting for tashahud, the last tashahud. But whenever he used to lengthen them, he would also lengthen to some extent the prostration and the sitting after the prostration and the bowing and the standing after the bowing, yani, uh, 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 proportionately yani, to match his lengthening or shortening of the uh, recitation or the sitting. Uh, and he says that also he found later that this opinion, the last opinion mentioned here, was also the opinion of Ibn Qayyim, rahimahullah, and he mentioned it in his book, As-Salat, and he mentioned it in his book, Tahbib As-Sunan, yani a summarized edition of the Sunan of Abu Dawood, and this is 
inshallah, the correct opinion, the Amidalim Fatwa, the standing in Salif al-Tashahud was indeed longer, but whenever he lengthened it, then he would also to some extent lengthen the other positions or shorten it likewise. The next hadith, hadith number 86, is the hadith of Thabit al-Bunani, rahimahullah, one of the great scholars of the Tabi'een, who was known for his piety, righteousness, excessive worship and knowledge of the deen. And he narrated this hadith from Anas ibn Malik radiallahu anhu, the great companion of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And uh, can one of the brothers show the sister where the sister's room is at? Sisters, can someone come to the back door to this a lady who came to a visit, can somebody come to the back door to receive her? Go with him to the door where the ladies are. Not that door the Malish. <laughs> Uh, in this hadith, the hadith of Anas ibn Malik radiallahu anhu, he said, إِنِّي لَا أَعْلُوا أَنْ أُصَلِّيَ بِكُمْ كَمَا كَانَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ يُصَلِّ بِنَا يعني, That I will not hold back or fall short or leave anything undone in attempting to pray or to perform the prayer for you as the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to lead us in the prayer. And in the narration of Al-Bukhari, he said, كَمَا رَأَيْتُ أَنْ نَبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ يُصَلِّ بِنَا يعني as I will try to do it just as I saw the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam or the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam doing it. قَالَ ثَابِتْ Then Thabit, the narrator from Anas ibn Malik, he said, فَكَانَ أَنَسْ فَكَانَ أَنَسَ أَنَسْ يَسْنَعُ شَيْئًا لا أراكم تسمعونه. He said that Anas رضي الله عنه used to do something in the prayer that I don't see people doing anymore. I don't see him doing it. People are not doing it anymore. كان إذا رفع رأسه من الركوع whenever he used to raise his head from bowing انتصب قائما. Or in another narration he said قام that he used to stand up or he used to stand up erect, straightening his back back when he used to come up from ركوع. حتى يقول القائل قد نسيا يعني he used to stand in that position after wuku so long that some person would think he would say he has forgotten that he is supposed to be he is in the standing before sajda he forgot that he is supposed to be going to sajda that's how long he used to stand in that position first day we find that people can hardly stand for even a second حتى يقول القائل قد نسي until someone might say that he has forgotten where he at where he is at in the prayer. وإذا رفع رأسه من السجدة مكث حتى يقول القائل قد نسي and if he raises his head up from the prostration. Or in the, another narration he said وبين السجدتين when he used to raise his head up for the sitting between the two prostrations. مكث حتى يقول القائل قد نسي then he used to sit in between two prostrations. He used to sit so long that somebody would say he has forgotten. They would think that he has forgotten to make the second prostration. But this was from the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ that Anas was demonstrating to them when he said, I would not leave off anything. I would not fall short in any way in demonstrating or performing the prayer for you as I saw the Messenger of Allah ﷺ doing it, leading us in the prayer. The Shaykh says here concerning this hadith, the general meaning of the hadith that Anas Ibn Malik radiallahu anhu said that I will make every effort. I will strive and struggle and I will not leave off anything to, to perform a prayer for you as the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to lead us in the prayer 
so that you will follow the example of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and you will pray the prayer similar to his prayer. The purpose of knowing how the Prophet sallallahu prayed was so that we will perform the prayer like he performed it. How can people know that the Prophet sallallahu did a certain thing in the prayer and they didn't do it? When we know that it is confirmed in the authentic hadith of the Prophet sallallahu he used to raise his hands when he was going to bow and when he came from bowing and more than 15 or 20 or 30 companions of the Prophet narrated this authentically reported. Why, why we don't do it? When we know that the Prophet ﷺ placed his right hand on his left hand on his chest when he was standing in Qiyam. Why we don't do it? The purpose of knowing how the Prophet ﷺ prayed is so that we would do it, so that we would follow his example. And this was the objective of Anas ibn Malik in showing them the exact prayer of the Messenger of Allah ﷺ so that they would follow it, so they would take it as a model and they would perform the prayer in the same way. The narrative from Anas Tabit Al-Bunani Rahimahullah said that Anas used to be a thing that was part of the perfection and the beauty of the prayer that he didn't see the people doing anymore and that was that he used to stand for a long time when he rose up from bowing and he used to sit for a long time when he was in between the two sajdis. So when he used to raise his head up from Ruku, he used to straighten his back erect uh, to such a, yeah, I mean, for such a long period of time that the people thought he forgot where he was at and the same thing when he used to rise up from the prostration he would sit for a long time until people might think that he had forgotten where he was at in the prayer and the shaykh says here that there is one main point derived from this hadith and it is that this hadith is a proof that it is legislated in the sharia that a person should stand for a long time after rising up from ruku. And this is legislated in the Sunnah of the Prophet the standing after Ruku for a long time, lengthening that standing. And also lengthening the sitting after Sajda. And this was the practice of the Prophet. The next hadith is hadith number 87, hadith of Anas ibn Malik. He said, مَا صَلَّيْتُ وَرَاءَ إِمَامٍ قَطْ أَخَفَّ صَلَاةً وَلَا أَتَمَّ صَلَاةً مِنْ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمٍ And another narration of this hadith, he said, مِنْ النَّبِيِّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمٍ The meaning of the hadith is basically the same. He said that I have not prayed behind any imam, any place in any masjid in my lifetime. I have not prayed behind any man, any imam whose prayer was more brief than the prayer of the Prophet and whose prayer was more perfect and he didn't pray behind anybody and said I didn't find any man doing so he said that and in the end of this hadith he said in the narration of Al-Bukhari it was reported that he said وَإِن كَانَ لَيَسْمَعُ فَيُخَفِّفُ مَخَافَةَ أَنْ تُفْتَنَ أُمُّهُ That the Prophet that if he ever heard a child crying, then he used to reduce or shorten his prayer for fear that the mother of that child would be tested. I mean the mother of that child would be tested by the fact that the child is crying and he wants to attend to the child. So when he heard any child crying, he used to 
take this into consideration and he would reduce his prayer. In one of the hadith he said that I used to enter the prayer with the intention of lengthening it. He had intention to lengthen it and then he would hear a child crying and he shorten it. And this is the wisdom of the Prophet and the mercy of the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and it is an example for the Imams of the Muslims that they should also be considered in the prayer and in the other matters that they have authority over the Muslim people that they should be considered of the people as the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was considered of those who are under his authority. The Shaykh says here in this hadith that the general meaning of the hadith is that Anas ibn Malik negated the possibility that he ever prayed behind any imam and that their salat was uh, deeper or more perfect than the salat that he prayed behind al-imam al-a'zam al-imam al-a'zam some people think it's al-imam Abu Hanifa rahimahullah but al-imam al-a'zam the great imam is the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he is the great imam and all others follow him the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to make his prayer brief such that there was no hardship on the people he didn't put them to hardship while at the same time his prayer was complete and perfect without leaving off any obligatory part of that prayer and the people when they left the prayer they were in a state of peace and calm and they were enjoying the prayer and ready to return to prayer not like uh, and those who have no consideration for the people and they put the people to test from the manner that they pray uh, he says here that the Prophet sallallahu used to complete, complete the prayer by performing all of the obligatory acts as well as those things which were mustahab in the prayer and this is uh, this is of the cases or the effects of the barakah the blessing of the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that he was able to combine these two things making the prayer short while at the same time completing it without leaving anything off the shaykh mentions three points or three rulings or that are derived from this hadith the first of them is that the imam should make the prayer brief so that it would not be a hardship or difficulty on those who are praying with him while at the same time he must make the, the prayer complete and not uh, leave off any part of the prayer that would reduce the reward for that prayer yeah, and he should combine these two things as did the Prophet sallallahu and the completion or perfection of the prayer is by the performance of all of the obligatory wajibat and also those things which are mustahab or commendable or recommended without doing them to the, going to the extreme with them or lengthening them beyond necessity and the reduction or shortening of the prayer is in performing every obligatory act while sometimes performing some of the mustahab and not necessarily doing all of the mustahab acts and when he wanted to shorten the prayer he would, he would definitely do all of the obligatory things all of those things which were wajib or all of those things which were um, uh, fard but in order to shorten the prayer sometimes he might reduce from those things which are mustahab which are not obligatory but not from the, the, the obligatory things 
And the second point that the Sheikh mentions here is that the prayer of the Prophet was the most complete and perfect prayer. Uh, and it is expected and required that every Muslim, when they pray, they should try to make their prayer like his prayer. And we should make the effort that our prayer should be like his prayer so that we would achieve, number one, uh, the reward for following his example and also the reward for the perfection of our ibadah. Yani the more close our worship is to his worship, the more rewardable it is because his manner of worshiping was the best way. Number three, in this hadith, there is the proof of the permissibility of the person who is uh, superior or preferred being led in prayer by one who is less than them. And in this hadith, there is an indication that Anas ibn Malik radiallahu anhu, who was one of the great companions of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa servant for many years, for more than 10 years, he served the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa personally. And yet he said that I didn't pray behind any imam whose prayer was equal to the prayer of the Prophet which means that he prayed behind many imams. And their prayers were not equal in their perfection or in their briefness to the prayer of the Prophet But many of those people who prayed behind were not equal to him. They were not Sahaba. And they were not of the highest status. And of the major companions as was Anas ibn Malik And this is the proof then that the one who is superior may be led in prayer by the one who is less than them, but not equal to them in status. And in status, not meaning status uh, and by the worldly uh, measurement, but I mean in status according to their rank with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, and also the Shaykh says here that the Imam of the Masjid, uh, who is the regularly appointed Imam should lead the prayer even if there are people behind him who are superior and who may, who may know the Quran better or who might have more knowledge of Islam or who might be better in character and so on and if someone is a regularly appointed Imam then they should lead the prayer even if there are people who are superior or preferable to them behind them in the prayer and Shaykh Islam Ibn Taymiyyah said that the one who has authority in any place is like the regularly appointed Imam and in your home the person who is the head of the home is like the appointed imam. And the person in authority in any place is like the imam who has been appointed. There is one hadith remaining, but that hadith contains some ikhtilaf, some points of difference of opinion, and a number of rulings that it is not possible for us to cover today. So, uh, what time is the adhan? How much time is for the adhan? How much? 6.30? And less than 10 minutes, huh? <laughs> okay, uh, let us stop here then. And the next, the, the next hadith, that, uh, hadith number 88, we take in the coming lecture, believe in Ta'ala. If any questions or any comments or corrections, we have a few moments before the alarm. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika. Ashhadu la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk. Somebody take the question from the sisters there. No? Some people want to see the people are going up.
Yeah. After the second rata, when you are going to stand for the third rata, or the first rata when you are standing for the second rata, the odd rata, the first and the third, when you are standing up for the even rata from the odd rata, uh, the question is, is it proper to sit first or to stand? This is the topic of the next hadith in the evening. Inshallah, we will discuss it next week. But the, the most correct opinion is that it is uh, preferable. And can we take this hadith now? Maybe, uh, I don't know. Okay, let's just read the hadith and uh, maybe we will uh, complete it in the next lecture. But let us do since the question came uh, when it's appropriate that we mention here. Hadith number 88 is the hadith on the attack of Abu Tulaba, Abdullah ibn Zayd, Al Jarmi, Al Basri. رحمه الله said جاءنا مالك بن حويرف رضي الله عنه في مسجدنا هذا يعني من هؤلاء أبو قلابة he said that مالك بن الحويرف who was the companion of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم came to us in this masjid of ours and he said فقال إني لا أصلي بكم وما أريد الصلاة يعني I will perform a prayer for you but I don't intend to perform the prayer يعني the regularly do prayer but I have another purpose in performing this prayer أصلي كيف رأيت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم I will perform the prayer as a demonstration to show you how uh, I saw the message of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم praying and it wasn't time for the prayer but he was going to show them how the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم prayed demonstrate so they will see exactly the description of the prayer of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم فقلت لأبي قلابة the reporter from Abu Qalaba said to him I said to him كيف كان يصلي how did he pray he said, فَقَالَ مِثْلَ شَيْخِنَا أو مِثْلَ صَلَاةِ شَيْخِنَا هَذَا That he used to pray like this Shaykh of ours, the Imam who used to lead them in the prayer in that masjid. He said, how did he pray? How did he demonstrate that prayer? He said, just like our Imam prays. وَكَانَ شَيْخُنَا يَجْلِسُ إِلَى رَفَعَ رَأْسَهُ مِنَ السُّجُودِ قَبْلَ أَنْ يَنْهَدُ يعني, And our Shaykh, he used to sit. If he raised his head up from, from sajda, from prostration, he used to sit, sit before standing up for the next rakah. Now if he was in the first rakah and he made two prostrations, he used to sit first before standing up for the next rakah, for the second rakah, or from the third rakah, for the fourth rakah. Uh, also, it's narrated authentically in another narration uh, of this hadith that's reported by Al-Bukhari. وَكَانَ ذَلِكَ الشَّيْخِ يُتِمُّ التَّكْبِيرِ And that shaykh, he used to make the takbir complete. وَإِذَا رَفَعَ رَأْسَهُ عَنَ السَّجْدَةَ الثَّانِيَ جَلَتَ وَعَتَّمَدَ عَلَى الْأَرْضِ ثُمَّ قَامَ and he said that the shaykh, whenever he used to raise his head from sajda, from the second sajda, يعني in the first rakah, or in the third rakah, when he used to raise his head from the second sajda, jalasa, he sat, وَعَتَمَدَ عَلَى الْأَرْضِ And he used to lean on the earth, ثُمَّ قَامَ And he used to sit, then he used to lean on the earth to pop himself up, to get up, and then he would stand. And in another narration, which is authentically reported also in the Sunnah of Abu Dawood, he said, Lam yanhad. This is in reference to the Prophet in the description of his prayer, Lam yanhad hatta yastawi qa'idan. That he didn't used to stand up until he sat up straight first. 
جلوا وستاند اب وذكر انه كان اذا رفع راسه من السجده الاخيره and it is mentioned that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi up from the, the, the last sajda and of the two sajdas, the last of them see al-raqa al-ula in the first raqa and this hadith he mentions that it was in the first raqa when he used to stand up from the second prostration or the last of the two prostrations in the first raqa qa'ada thumma qama that he used to sit then he would stand up and these hadith make it very very clear that this sitting was a practice of the Prophet ﷺ. It was demonstrated by Malik ibn Hawairith and by the Shaykh of the people who saw him demonstrate his prayer in this way and it was the practice of the Prophet ﷺ. The Shaykh says the general meaning of this hadith is that Abu Qalaba said that Malik ibn Hawairith he came to us and he was one of the companions of the Prophet ﷺ. He came to our mass and he said that I have come to you and I will pray for you a prayer that I will not in any way fall short in uh, performing it. My intention in doing so is not worship. Yani it, it isn't, I am not intending to perform one of the obligatory prayers, but verily my intention in doing so is to teach you the prayer of the Prophet in a practical manner. To teach you the prayer in a practical manner. This was his intention. And also so that this manner of teaching that the, the people would have a picture, an actual picture that would be closer to their minds and easier for them to understand. The narrator of the hadith from Abu Qalaba, the narrator from him said that he asked Abu Qalaba, how did Malik ibn Huwairis, uh, how did he uh, teach you the prayer of the Prophet ﷺ? How did he pray? He said that his prayer was like the prayer of our Shaykh, Amr ibn Salama and Jeremy, and he used to sit, a brief sitting, whenever he used to raise his head up from the sajda before he was going to stand, he used to sit, jalsa khafifa, a short brief sitting before standing up. And this brief sitting is known amongst the scholars of fiqh as jalsa istiraha. And jalsa al istiraha. And the sitting for resting. Uh, Concerning the difference of opinion in this hadith, the Shaykh says here that the, the sitting here that is pointed to in this hadith it is what is known as Jalsa al-Istiraha, the sitting for rest. And there is no difference of opinion amongst the scholars that it is permissible to do this. This practice is allowed by all of the scholars, but the difference of opinion is whether or not it is mustahab to do so. Is it mustahab or not? The first opinion is the opinion of Imam al-Shafi and Ahmed al-Ishaq and others and their opinion is that it is mustahab to sit this brief sitting in the first rakah before standing up for the second rakah. The second opinion is the opinion of from amongst the Sahaba, Omar, Ali, Ibn Mas'ud, Ibn Umar, Ibn Abbas, radiallahu anhumajma'in, and from amongst the Imams, Saudi and Ishaq, uh, and others, Abu Hanifa, Malik, and it is also one of the opinions of Ahmed, uh, and Ahmed said that most of the hadith indicate the absence of this sitting. Uh, Imam al-Tirmidhi in his sunan, the sunan al-Tirmidhi, after mentioning this hadith of Malik ibn Hawairith, he said that the practice of this sitting, it was the practice of many of the scholars or the people of knowledge. And it is our opinion, yani my companions or those who are following his madhab or the same yani, opinion as him. 
this was the opinion of Imam Al-Tirmidhi, and he was in agreement with the first group who said that this sitting was really from the Sunnah and it should be practiced. Another opinion, the third opinion is some of those scholars who, who had an in-between opinion and they said that this sitting may be done if there's a need for it. If the person is elderly or weak or sick or something like that and they have a need to lean, to sit up first before standing, then it's permissible to sit and take a rest before standing if there's a need for it. Ibn Qudama, the Hanbali scholar, he said in his book Al-Mughni that this last opinion is a combination of the various evidences, those which mention the sitting and those which do not mention the sitting. He said this is a combination uh, and a middle position that if there's a need for it, do it and otherwise not. From this hadith, the Shaykh mentioned five points and then we will finish. The first point he said that it is mustahab or recommended to make this jilsa al-istiraha but he said it is recommended or mustahab to do so if there is a need to do so, if there is a need to do so. Uh, the second thing he said that the time for this or the place for this sitting is at the time when the person is getting up from the sajda, getting ready to stand up yani in the first rakah or in the third rakah, the odd rakah. The third point he said that the intended purpose of this jilsa istiraha is that to separate the sajda from the qiyam. And for this reason, no takbir and no zikr has been legislated in that sitting position. There is no takbir to come up to that sitting position, but the takbir is for standing up from that sitting position to the next rakah. And there is no zikr mentioned for that sitting position, but it is a separation between the sajda and the standing. The fourth point is the permissibility of teaching by demonstration or by action. And teaching by demonstration is a good manner of teaching. This is one of the best ways for the student to understand and to grasp the meaning of what the teacher is saying. And the final point he said, the permissibility of uh, doing an act of worship, performing an act of worship with the intention of teaching, and doing an act of worship as a demonstration. That it's permissible for someone to make a salat, not with the intention that I'm making salat, but with the intention to teach someone how to perform the salat. This is permissible. Uh, and there's and, and there's no yani, uh, yani, there's no fault in doing so because the motive or the reason for doing so is for teaching and teaching is also an act of getting near to Allah just as the salat is. Yani a person who tries to teach people something about the being, this is also an act of worship so it's permissible that the person's intention is that I'm doing it for the objective of teaching or demonstrating or showing. And finally there is another hadith related to this topic which the Shaykh didn't mention, but I should mention it because it came up previously. There is a hadith that Shaykh al-Bani, rahimahullah, uh, mentioned. He said that it is reported by Abu Ishaq al-Harabi with a Senate Sali, a good and acceptable chain of narratives. And the same meaning of this hadith is reported in another report by al-Bayhaqi with a Senate Sahih, an authentic or correct Isnad. And in that hadith it is reported that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam كان يعجن في الصلاة يعني he used to ball up his hand like a person when they are meeting dough كان يعجن في الصلاة يعتمد على يديه meaning on his hands إذا قام when he was going to get up he used to ball his hands like a person meeting dough and he used to lean on his hand when he was going to get up this hadith is authentic 
even though some people claim that it is not from the Sunnah to do so, it is authentically reported that the Prophet used to do so, and even though some people say he did it because it was in his old age, but in fact, as Sheikh al-Bani mentioned, there's no time to read his comments here now, but in Irwa al-Ghalil, he mentioned that at least ten of the companions of the Prophet described this practice of the Prophet as a part of his salat. And if it was something that he only did when he was old and sick, and it wasn't his normal practice, then they wouldn't have described it as a part of his salat, but they would have said that when he was old or when he was sick and he was unable to stand, he used to do this sitting or he used to lean on his hands like this. But they described it as though it was an actual part of his salat, and this is a proof that this is a part of the salat of the Prophet wasallam. and whoever does it with this intention, they are indeed following the sunnah, and inshallah, it is a rewardable act of the prayers. Uh, the sisters have some questions. Can we take a few moments to answer their questions? What is the difference of the following prayer? Salat al-Istikhara, Salat al-Tasbih, Salat al-Hajjah. They are all different. Istikhara is the prayer when a person wants to make a decision. Then they make two rakah and they supplicate to Allah, asking Allah to help them make the right decision. Salat al-Tasbih is when the person makes the recitation of a number of the things of Tasbih, subhanAllah. Uh, in standing, in ruku, in bowing, in sajda, in sitting between the sitting up from bowing and so on, uh, to I think the number of only uh, 300 tasbih in that salat. And this salat, salat tasbih, is different about concerning uh, its authenticity, is it really from the sunnah or not. Some of the scholars said that there is some authentic hadith for it, and other scholars said that all of the hadith concerning this are weak, but some of the scholars of sunnah used to practice it, and they used to do it. Uh, as for Salat al-Hajjah, this is when a person is in need of something and they want to ask Allah for some means and they perform the Salat. All the above Sunnah prayers done by our Prophet during his lifetime, Salat al-Istikhar was definitely done by him. Salat al-Tasbih, there is difference of opinion about it. Those scholars who said that the Hadith is Hassan, then they are obviously saying that he did it. And those who said that um, it's not Sahih, then maybe they were rejected. Uh, any hadith stating such prayers and there are some hadith stating these prayers inshallah perhaps at another time we bring yani, some discussion about each of these prayers at least a brief discussion and description of them and the hadith concerning them and the sayings of the scholars concerning them any questions on the brothers before we leave? Uh, this, uh, this, uh, this, uh, this, uh, this, uh, this, the intention for the intention for any act should be done before or at the time of doing it. And it doesn't say the opinion concerning this, but normally the person has the intention before they do the act. But that intention should remain with them at the time of beginning the act. And also during the performance of the act, the intention should remain until they finish the act. That is, the intention should remain throughout, from the beginning to the end. But that intention is not the pronouncement of any words. It is the intention that a person has in the heart, and that remains with them from the time that they thought about doing it, until they actually engage in it, until they complete it. This is the correct opinion about the intention, inshallah. None. The thing that I mean is not in the Sunnah, Allahu Akbar. In any case, yeah, the, according to the Hanafi Madhab, most of the Hanafi people believe that we should not say Amin out loud. 
and they are sometimes very aggressive in uh, rejecting this and in even yeah, in trying to prevent people from doing it. But as we know, there are certainly authentic hadith from the Prophet ﷺ, too many of them, in Al-Bukhari and Muslim and other books, where the Prophet ﷺ said when the Imam says, وَلَدْ دَعْلِينَ فَقُولُوا آمين. He ordered us to say it, not only from the Sunnah, but it is an order from the Prophet ﷺ to say so. And the real difference of opinion perhaps is concerning whether or not we should say it out loud, in a loud tone, and there are some hadith which demonstrate or prove that they used to say Amin out loud in the time of the Prophet ﷺ to the extent that the masjid used to vibrate from the sound of the people saying Amin out loud. And Allah knows that. In any case, the people who follow a madhab are difficult sometimes to deal with because they have always been taught a certain way and they are not willing to listen to anything else. But we should be patient with these people and try to, in a nice way, and in an easy-going way, present to them some hadith, at least just for them to think about, not to force them to change their opinion, but just so that they will be aware of it. And at least, if they are willing to listen or to read it, and they become aware that it is authentic hadith, without pushing the issue and trying to force them to change their opinion, but just trying to get them to listen, so that if they become aware of it, inshallah, if they are uh, really fearing Allah and loving the deen, then perhaps at some point they will overcome their fanaticism about their madhab and they will accept the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ and follow it. And Allah knows better.